My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the Gospel of today's Mass, we read something about Jesus and his interaction with a human being. And maybe because of the distance of centuries, we put the Gospel in a box, maybe the box of legends or nice stories that have nothing to do with us. But this is not true. The beauty of the gospel is precisely that, uh, applies to you today, to me. Right now, Jesus is passing by and talking to us. And that's why the gospel is alive. So let's read it, not as a legend or as a fantasy, but as a reality. Jesus is alive. Jesus, we believe that you are alive. That's why I said, I believe that you are here with me in my heart, in the tabernacle, if you're in a church, in your soul, in my soul, when we're in a state of grace. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say today to you, to me, putting ourselves inside the scene of the gospel. And it says that Jesus went out again besides the sea, and all the crowd gathered about him. People liked you. You were not just a doctor. You were not just an inspiring guy. You were giving answers to thirsty people of truth, of beauty. And today, Jesus, same happens to me. I'm thirsty. And then he taught them with patience, with great examples, with your life, with your smile. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alpheus, sitting at the tax office. Jesus passing by, meeting people at their work, at their jobs. Where people were working, Jesus made himself present, which has a a huge message, which means that the God is is aware, and not only aware, he really cares. He, he comes to you right now. I don't know if you're in college, or you're a young professional, or not so young. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is coming to your office, to your desk, to your car, to your kitchen, whatever it is, to your life. In the gospel, we see how Jesus comes to the boat of Peter, to his own boat, to his own life, right? And the same happens to you if you want to, if you open the door. And now I have a complaint. I, I got to say that the gospel sometimes is a little bit too brief, but it has enough. Because he, the gospel says that Jesus went to this tax office. There was a person working there, Levi. And this is when it comes to very brief kind of statement. Jesus said to him, follow me. And then he rose and followed him, living everything behind. And what about you? What about me? Do you listen to Jesus? Do I listen to him? Of course, I bet you that uh, Levi and Jesus met before that encounter, probably at the synagogue, or maybe Levi went for dinner with him or, or met him at some place before that. 
And there was an ongoing conversation about the meaning of life, about the purpose of his existence. And Jesus probably opened to him horizons of a deep meaning, direction, a drive, and then Levi was listening to Jesus. And that morning, after maybe some conversations, our Lord told him, why don't you follow me? In every vocation, I like to say that there's a cocktail, like a cocktail that we do for drinks. There's a cocktail between two ingredients, two basic ingredients. One of them is the calling, and the other side or the other component of the cocktail is your freedom. A vocation is not a, an Amazon package that falls from the sky. And then like a surprise that you open and then you can adapt to it completely, like a, something strange or something that has nothing to do with you, like a planet that has eternally designed for you and you just need to open up and, and, and adapt and, and just figure it out like something strange or random. Vocation is a combination between your freedom and the grace of God, my freedom and your invitation. And that's the beauty of every vocation because Jesus says, follow me if you want to. And then he listens and then he rose and followed him. And look at the gospel is really a piece of beautiful art, a real story, because you can see how then Levi with initiative follows Jesus, not like a zombie or like a robot because he invited him over for dinner. Right? That, that's, that makes sense. If you follow me, you spend our lives together forever. I want you, Jesus, to come to my life. My vocation is not only following you, but bringing you to my life. It's both sides, right? So Levi invited Jesus over for dinner. Can you imagine such a thing? Jesus Christ coming for dinner. That would be so great. I watched the other day another episode of this TV show. I really like it. If you don't like it, it's okay. It's not the gospel, but it's based on the gospel, The Chosen. And there's one episode where Mary Magdalene is just free from her demons and starting to live a life of dignity and beauty. And this is still at very early stages of her vocation. And then she gathers with some friends to celebrate the Passover, uh, like any other Jewish woman. And there are a few of them. She's not very popular because she has this reputation of being a big sinner, seven demons, right? So she has a very small party. Like you, we see in our lives that sometimes we're not popular. And then she has like a three, four friends coming over for, for dinner, for the Passover. And they're preparing it very nicely, very humbly, and, and, and it's beautiful. And then the door, someone knocks at the door, tuck, tuck. And then she goes there, like, because surprise, who's the last person coming here? And then she opens the door, and it's Jesus. I'm not saying that this is a historical fact, but I like to think that probably something like that happened to many other people, like Jesus knocking at their doors, literally, and saying, hey, can I have Passover with you? And then Mary Magdalene in that scene is kind of a shocked and, and very happy and, and surprised and overwhelmed having Jesus for the Passover. And she doesn't even know that... He is the Messiah, that the lamb is, is his future sacrifice on the cross and the Eucharist. But it is so beautiful to see Jesus coming to her. And the same here, like Levi 
saying, if I want to spend the rest of my life with you, why don't you come to my life, Jesus? And then look at what happened, because it's very interesting. Many tax collectors, obviously, and sinners were sitting with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew, Levi, or Matthew is the same name, co-workers, and they were friends. And then he, he wanted to bring Jesus to them, and then they, they were together. Some of them atheists. We would say nowadays maybe liberals or whatever, right? And then describes that the Pharisees, when they saw that he was sitting with them, with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus heard that. And, uh, and then he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do need a physician. I came precisely not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I don't know what was the conversation that night at the house of uh, Levi, but I'm sure that they were not talking all the time about the temple or the Torah. Maybe they were talking about horses or parties or or the wine that was so good. Maybe they were a little frivolous or, or superficial because they were at the very early stages of meeting Jesus Christ. And our Lord was fine with this. So what I'm trying to say today, my Lord, is that in, in every vocation, there's a story to be told and to be unfolded. And you are fine with that. You're actually creating that story together with the protagonist. Again, not like a package that falls from the sky and then God is telling you what to do and then it's against your will and against your, your loves or against your dreams. That would be so cruel. Is God saying, can I put music to your life? Can I give you color to the movie of your life? Can I give rhythm to your poems? Can I accompany you? I was reading recently, Bishop Barron, there is this uh, book that he wrote about the centrality of Jesus Christ. And uh, and he has a term, it's the first time I read it, the term, uh, or heard about it, is coherence, coherence, uh, kind of a difficult word. But basically what he's saying is that... Uh, in changing the world, in redeeming the world, in coming into our time and, and, and in, in his humanity, Jesus Christ and God, the Father and the Holy Spirit, did something really spectacular, really beautiful, which is coherence. Coherence means that they permeated human realities without destroying them, meaning they intervened, they touched history to redeem it, to bring it to another level, but at the same time respecting the normal course of humanity, like the normal pace, the normal rhythms of humanity. Otherwise, it would be unnatural. What about your vocation? Do you understand that God wants to make you better? He's calling you, respecting you, respecting me. And I I really appreciate your refinement, Jesus, in coming to my life to change it, but at the same time enjoying the fact that I am the owner of my life and you are just accompanying me with respect. The fact that you respect me is so beautiful. Of course, sometimes I, I would say, do not respect me, Jesus, just take over. That's, you, you have better ideas than I do and, and, and you know way more but you would tell me, no, 
you're free. I enjoy the process more than the end or the outcome. And this is something difficult for me to accept. St. Josemaria, in the way, has a chapter on calling, on vocation. And in the point 913, he says, don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. Your vocation is the greatest grace our Lord could have given you. Thank him for it. So Maria telling you, whispering, your vocation is the greatest grace that our Lord could have given you. Your vocation is, is a treasure. In other parts of the gospel, Jesus says that it's like a pearl, hidden treasure that the man or woman discovers and then follows that treasure, takes that treasure to an inner place, protects it, sells everything. In other words, it's like a compass that directs every action, every love. That's so human and divine at the same time. If you go to Rome, and I hope you do, I think every Catholic should go to Rome and to the Holy Land at least once in in your life, right? I've been in Rome several times. I've lived there for five years. I've never been in the Holy Land, and it was one of my dreams, obviously, as a priest, to go there, to celebrate Mass in the Holy Sites. It's just a, it's a dream, really. And uh, I hope our Lord gives me that chance before I die, right? But uh, if you go to Rome, you, you would go to the Vatican, and every time I go to the Vatican with someone, I think the experience is the same, that the people say in one way or another, Man, I feel at home. This is my home. This is the first time here. But just seeing the Vatican, the tomb of Peter, you know, you feel, you almost touch history, right? And you feel at home. This is my family. And it is really beautiful. And in the Vatican, you have different options, obviously, but uh, I think one of the biggest or the greatest places that you can visit is the, the Sixteenth Chapel by Michelangelo. And there are many different uh, scenes of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the creation, which is iconic. If you remember, you have seen pictures probably of God the Father creating the world. And then there's this scene where you see God the Father as a kind of a, an old man surrounded by angels. And he's with his power, he's touching, about to touch, to give life to Adam. And, uh, and then you see both fingers almost touching each other. Right, this is very iconic. Many t-shirts and paintings are with those two fingers, and uh, and uh, Michelangelo apparently wanted to to give a message in in this scene because the, the finger and it's, it's a very kind of small detail, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Apparently, the, the finger of God the Father is completely stretched out; it cannot go farther. It's, like, it's, it's just a, it's making an effort. With, with his power, his creative power, with his freedom as God the Father and the Holy Trinity, like it's reaching out, stretching to, to get closer to us. And then Adam is, uh, is there too, and his finger is a little bent. It's not completely stretched out. And then Michelangelo wanted to represent this combination, this kind of a um, tension, which is good, between God's invitation and human freedom, right? And then God cannot do more in order to love. He cannot, he reached a limit. Even if it's God, he reached a limit, which is not because he's in capacity of loving more, but it's 
because he cannot oblige us to, to love. That's the limit, right? Our freedom. And God accepted that and created that, actually, because he saw something beautiful in it. And then God is saying, hey, I cannot do more, literally. Begging you, can, can, can we be together? Can, you, can we walk together? Follow me, please. Like, like, and begging your friendship, our friendship. And then it's up to Adam to say, okay, do I want to stretch? I'm so close. I, I'm completely dependent on God. I ontologically linked to him or whatever. But at the end, is my option, is my choice. Do I want to stretch a little bit more and then touch God in my life? Allowed him to enter. So that's a question for today. Jesus, my Lord, God the Father, Holy Spirit, I want you to know that I don't have any restriction for you. I want you to know I want to give you my entire heart, my mind, my past life, my present life, my future. Everything is yours. I want to give you the keys of my soul. I want to give you complete access to my heart entirely for you. I don't want to be separated from you even a millimeter. I don't want anything to block or to blur my connection with you. I want to listen to everything you have to say. And in my freedom, I want to tell you that I want just to give my entire life to you, to follow you as close as I can. I want to replicate your effort. And with complete freedom, I want to give myself to you. Like Matthew that morning, or St. Peter, or the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Jose Maria, all the saints were invited. And all the saints, through the journey of their vocation, in one way or another, at some point, surrendered. And they said, for sure, I'm yours. Recently, I was on a plane and sometimes in the planes I watch movies because they entertain you and they make the trip a little shorter. So I watched this movie by the name Yesterday, which is a comedy, but it has some depth. Yeah, it's deep, kind of has some depth. Uh, it's called Yesterday, and it's a, about a guy that is a musician. And he's not a mediocre, but he's good. He likes music, he likes the Beatles, and then he plays guitar in, in, in pops, in in little concerts, and he's not successful. He's trying to make his life out of music, but uh, he has another job, and uh, struggling financially. He likes music, and anyway. And at some point, there's this uh, its a science fiction thing. There's this kind of a weird phenomenon in, in, on the Earth, like a blackout in electricity and whatever, some cosmic problem. And then suddenly the whole world is in darkness for 12 seconds, I think. And then the whole world comes back to normal after 12 seconds. And then some memories are lost for some people. Among them, suddenly, after these 12 seconds, and again, it's a science fiction movie, nobody knows anything about the Beatles. They didn't exist, period. But this, the protagonist, this mediocre musician, is the only one in the world that knows all their songs. And he knows them. He knows them and he knows how to play them. And But nobody else, there's no nothing, no trace from the Beatles in history. So he goes to Google and there's nothing. He asks friends or the musicians, oh, the Beatles, what's that? And then the whole movie is hilarious because he becomes very famous. He starts playing the, the normal songs of the Beatles. 
And the people are saying, well, this is crazy. This is a new order of music. This is really awesome. And then he becomes very famous. He goes to Hollywood. He signs for a big you know, company. And uh, anyway, and there is a tension with his girlfriend. I don't want to spoil the whole movie for you. But uh, there's a moment in the movie that he sees two guys in a concert that want to talk to him. And they look at him in a kind of a way that he he thinks, oh, maybe they know too that I'm I'm lying here. Or well, not lying, but I'm taking advantage of something that I didn't create, right? So he he's a little scared about that. And then at the end of the concert, these two guys come to him. They want to talk to him. And he's like, okay, let's talk. And then they say in the movie, hey, you you are using the music of the Beatles, right? Like the, the group that nobody else. And, yeah, yeah. and, and then he says, are you going to denounce me? Are you going to? And they say, no. No, 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 we're, we're here to tell you that we're so happy that you're playing that because we're the three people in the whole world that remembers them or knows about them. And we're so happy that you brought those songs back. So we're actually telling you thank you for bringing the bills back, right? And the movie continues. But for a while I was thinking that uh, our vocation, in a way, makes us aware of something very, very special. That is the existence of God. And it, th- that goes to a personal level. And the, the discovery of that, maybe because we are we have been raised Catholics or, or we have been always surrounded by other Catholic people, maybe we're used to it. But it's something really special. So when you read the gospel, when I read the gospel, we're opening up a book that is eternal. And the joy of remembering that, like a, like these guys in the, hey, you brought us back the songs that you know were very important in music, in history of music, whatever. So imagine with the gospel, we're bringing back the life of Jesus. And you, my Lord, you are alive. This is not a joke. This is a reality. And you're respecting me and you're enjoying my life. And I, I want to be aware of this and to open up my heart to you today because you're the same Jesus that existed in the gospel and, and walked through the Holy Land and, and performed all those miracles and said all those parables and died on the cross. You're alive. You're alive for me, for the world in general, for human beings. No, you're for me personally. And if I were the only guy in the world that remembered that, I would be thrilled and, and moved to, to explain to the whole human history they, there was this savior that came and, and his God that entered into history and I look at what he did and if I were the only one remembering the gospel I would write it down and bring it to the rest of the world and, and, and restart the church right like this guy with the Beatles like I have something really important to tell the world so what about if we start with ourselves and in our prayer? In my prayer, to reflect on that, I have something really beautiful. What St. Maria says is the greatest treasure. And maybe, my Lord, sometimes I get confused, again, because I think that my vocation is a tension between my freedom and your, your dreams, and then they're not the same, they're not on the same page. You go against me. You're kind of limiting my possibilities. And this is so absurd. <laughs> Can you imagine calling God the dreamer, the killer of dreams, or the dreams killer, or 
that's it's absurd. If there's someone that dreams big, if there's someone that has creative power, if there's someone that has the possibility and the and the capacity of doing beautiful things that has created beauty, it's God. And that applies not only to you know the landscapes that you see in Google with the pristine water and the mountains or the weird animals with different colors. Oh, that's beautiful. That's it. No, the principle, the most important beauty is your relationship with him. That's the treasure that we should rediscover every single day. I discovered recently this prayer by Bishop Oscar Romero. It's, in a way, it's about vocation. It's a little long, so you will... Forgive me if I read it because it's kind of long, but uh, but I think he says so many things that help us today to understand ourselves and our role in history. He says, it helps now and then to step back and to take a long view. The kingdom of God is not only beyond our efforts. It is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that we could say. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we're about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they will hold future promises. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capacities. We cannot do everything. And there's a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It might be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and to do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. How beautiful this is to think that my vocation goes beyond me. That, of course, there is my freedom, my cooperation, but at the same time, it goes beyond. It is more beautiful than myself. Thank God. Right? And we're putting the seed of eternal trees. You today, when you interact with a friend, you will not finish. His salvation. I will not finish, not the church. Right? So we're in history. Everything's going to be tainted by sin, incomplete, open to further development. And we should not panic about that. We will do our best in combination with the grace of God that does the rest. And that's the beauty that we are humble enough to say, okay, my vocation is me inviting Jesus to meet me first or to talk to him and to follow him. And then my friends, sinners, tax collectors, and then that's my role, hoping that God, will, with His grace, will do the rest. Not just me or not just Him, it's both. 
This is the beauty. This is the treasure that you are co-author of the history of redemption. Even if you and I are nothing, God wants your, you to have a say. And, and he enjoys that, working with you. Why? I don't know. But he wants to work with you in your own soul and in the history of salvation. Something I don't deserve, Jesus. That you take me so seriously and at the same time respecting me. Let's ask the Blessed Virgin Mary to not only to accept, but to enjoy, to dive in this cocktail of uh, God begging your love and you and I opening to him as she did, with the same smile, with the same generosity. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.